Joshua chapter 3. If you were my third grade teacher, then it would be Joshua. On Sunday nights, as we approach our 40th anniversary, we've been considering the children of Israel crossing into Canaan after 40 years in the wilderness. This is now our 11th week in this series, and I would say that the emphasis overall has been that I believe God has greater things in store for us. As we pay attention to the preaching, we'll realize that that's true. Amen. (laughs) I'm trying to get more tactful, okay? Amen. But God, I believe, has greater things in store for us as a church body. Not that we've not been blessed, but just that I think more is on the horizon. By no means am I suggesting that we've been in a wilderness these past 40 years. But just as the children of Israel had greater blessings in store after their 40 years, I believe we also have greater blessings in store after our 40 years. And we've kind of covered these thoughts as we recap, but it's going to require us to be stirred out of our comfort zone. It's going to require us to be strong and of a good courage. It's going to require us to prepare. And last week we saw it's going to require us to go after the ark. In other words, we need to follow God's presence. Joshua 3 tonight is where we're going to be if you haven't found your place there yet. Last week, we were in verses 1 through 6. And when they saw the Ark of the Covenant and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, the Bible says they were to remove out of their place and go after it. In other words, as God's presence moved, they were to move. In Moses' life, it was a cloud and and a fire, but... In Joshua's day here, it's going to be the ark. And as God moved, they were to move. And as God moves here, we need to follow him. Remember that a growing church is a going church. And a going church is always in transition. Don't get too attached to your little area of the church. Someone will take your seat. Someone will park in your spot. And we may need to move your Sunday school room. That's a great thing because it means God is stirring us. Remember from last week that they were to go after the ark, but they were to keep a distance between them and the ark. The Bible says they needed to because they'd never been that way heretofore. And I believe just very simple application. We need to give space for the presence of God to work. And what I mean by that is, We don't need to crowd God out in all of our planning and programs. I think sometimes we we tend to crowd the Lord out of everything unknowingly sometimes. We don't need to figure out everything. We just need to get out of the way of God and follow Him as He leads the way. But remember that in order for God to move among us, we saw in verse 5 that we must be sanctified. There's a sanctification that must take place. And once we are sanctified, then I believe we can expect God to do wonders among us. The eyes of the Lord are moving to and fro throughout the whole earth 
seeking to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. And I want that to be us. But we have to do our part. We have to have the sanctification. We must be ready. Lastly, we saw last week in verse 6 the need for the leadership to have the presence of God upon them. And then they needed to pass before the people. I need our leadership on board as we go forward. I need you to catch the vision. We need the leadership on board. We need the leadership to catch the vision. And and then they need to pass before the people with the presence of God upon them. And, And what I need for you to do is to encourage the flock to follow after. Because as we begin to move, there's inevitably going to be some who will look around going, what just happened? And so people need to be on board enough in order that the, uh, the, the leadership as they pass by with the presence of God upon their shoulders, the people see that and then they follow along. So what I would like for us to do is to prepare for a move of God by getting uncomfortable. Amen. We need to be sanctified, and then we can expect a move of God's presence. And as he leads, we just need to follow him. And if you don't have the presence of God upon you, I'm I'm begging you to get alone with God until you get that which you need. And I don't care if it means wrestling with God or whatever that is, you need the presence of God upon your life. For tonight, let's begin by reading verses 7 through 17. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. And it came to pass, when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priest bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, And as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city Adam, that is beside Zaratan, and those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. As I was uh, preparing for this, verse 7 spoke to me uh, personally. It may not mean a lot to you tonight, 
but it means an awful lot to me. So please just let me kind of share my, my heart a little bit as we look at some of these things. Moses had led the people for 40 years, and then God chose Joshua to take Moses' place. Pastor Williams led Liberty Baptist Tabernacle for 36 years, 2 months, and 22 days. I figured it out. And for reasons that I cannot comprehend, God has chosen me to take pastor's place. And as Paul wrote, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. But during pastoral transitions, when the previous pastor led the people for so long and was very good at what he did and was highly respected in what he did, it takes time for the new pastor to gain respect from the congregation, to gain authority, to gain, uh, the Bible here is going to call it being magnified. Now, some of you never knew preacher as your pastor, so we're good to go. But for those who remember the days when Pastor Williams led Liberty Baptist Tabernacle, you may not yet see me as your pastoral authority, even though it's been three years, eight months, and seven days. I've heard testimonies that it can take as long as seven years for transitions to fully happen in a situation like ours. I don't know. But I think things here overall have gone very well. Amen. For Joshua, he would only have about a month, and the people were going to have to get on board. And he was magnified in the sight of Israel in a very short time. There's only been a few here that I'm aware of that have had issues with me as their pastor. Uh, pastoral authority, and in every instance, it's been those who are my elders. Because I think sometimes senior saints have a hard time with a younger guy coming in as pastor. Paul told Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. In Joshua's case, all the old-timers except Caleb had died in the wilderness. He didn't have that issue. So he wouldn't have to worry about that department. But I want, as I was thinking about this, I want you to understand that it did require a great miracle for God to do through Joshua, if you will, in order for him to be magnified in the sight of Israel. For Israel to trust him as their leader, there had to be this miracle that took place. Because while we read in chapter 3 there that God was going to begin to magnify um, Joshua there in verse 7. It's in chapter 4 and verse 14 where it says, On that day the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. And so that's telling us on the day that the Jordan River stood up upon a heap, the people had all passed over on dry ground. Then Joshua was fully magnified in the sight of all the people. And it's interesting to me that it took a similar miracle as what Moses saw and was a part of when they first came out of Egypt. It's a very similar event. Um, Moses there at the parting of the Red Sea, Joshua here as the Jordan would stand upon a heap. Uh, why do I bring all this up? Because I, I hope that I have gained or am gaining 
your trust. People do not do well following leaders they don't trust or respect. And it causes issues. It causes division. And for those of you who are veterans, you've been in the military, you're in the military, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because when you get a leader you don't respect, you kind of just forget about the little stuff. I won't tell you how many commander's calls I did not attend in the latter years of my career. And so we kind of just let things go. And, And the reason God had to magnify Joshua was so that they would know that as God was with Moses, so God was going to be with Joshua. And and that's what we ultimately want. We, We want a man in the pulpit that was appointed by God and not by man. That's what we desire. And so God began to magnify Joshua. Listen to this now. He began to do that as they began to move. Isn't that interesting? And so as they began to move, something began to change in the eyes of the people as far as Joshua was concerned and how they viewed him. And so they they had to uh, trust him enough to start moving. They had to trust Joshua enough to start moving. Because here's, here's one of the emphases, uh, the emphasis, this is one of the emphases tonight. The miracle would not happen until they moved. So I don't know if you can kind of see how my mind's working on this, on how all this is connected, but there had to be a respect for the man of God. There had to be a trust in what God was telling him, and he was in turn telling the people And as that trust was built, they began to move, and then a miracle took place. Now, I'll just be honest with you. I don't see a big issue here at Liberty Baptist Tabernacle, but it's in the text, and I wanted to cover it in case there are any here tonight that still have an issue with me as their pastor. uh, I'm just asking you to get on board so that we can all move forward together. I had something enter my mind, but I feel like God said, just shut your mouth. Now, I want you to think about this. Though the miracle of the Red Sea parting and the miracle of the Jordan River standing upon a heap were similar, there were differences. They're similar, but they were different. And though there were differences, catch this, the end result was the same. The end result was the same in both cases. And that was this, that God was going to be glorified in it all. And, and it made me consider our situation. I believe that we will see similar miracles that we've seen over the last 40 years, but there will be some differences. And although there will be some differences, the end result will continue to be this, the glory of God. And I'm simply saying, we can't be so quick to criticize how God operates in the next 40 years. So long as we're not leaving the fundamentals. We're not leaving the King James Bible. 
We're not leaving the, our music program. We're not going to stop running the buses. We're not going to cancel a service in support of some sort of small group gathering. I got to say it now. What did you think, Bill? Let me put it this way. I wonder if there were any there that day who thought, you know, Moses didn't do it this way. You know, Joshua, you don't even have a staff, and, and Moses carried a staff. Because, Joshua, if you're going to do it right, you're going to have to extend a staff over the water and say some words. You understand what I'm trying to say tonight? God just led a little bit differently. But I want you to understand that they still had the ark. They still had the same law of God. They still had God's presence with them to guide them. There may be some who see some things around here and think, well, that's not how Pastor Williams would have done that. Or he would have handled this kind of situation differently. Okay, but does that mean the end result has changed? Does that mean we've left the fundamentals? If, if both have been directed by God, then it's all going to be okay. And it'll still be for the glory of God, but just don't be so quick to criticize. God often uses different, uh, different approaches but with the same goal in mind. Let me, let me prove that to you from the Bible. So they, they are about to cross over, and they're going to go to Jericho, and God's going to tell them this. You're going to have to walk around the city. God didn't tell them that in any other city. The battle plan was a little bit different, but can I tell you that the end result was the same. We're conquering the land. And so God sometimes, he chooses to do things just a little bit different in the next generation. Now, I know somebody's thinking it. We're not talking about changing, you know, we're not bringing drums up in here. Uh, we're not doing anything crazy, okay? I'm just saying sometimes things happen a little bit differently. I, and I hope you know I'm not suggesting that the end justifies the means. It does matter how we go about glorifying God. I just want to encourage those who may be struggling with the stirring that God is doing around here because I want you to know it's going to be just fine if we follow God's leading. Amen. We see in verse 8 that God told Joshua what to command the people. And I need your prayers that God will give me exactly what our next step should be and that I will be able to effectively communicate that to you. Joshua tells the people that through this miracle they were about to witness, they would know that God was among them and that once they crossed over, God would drive out the inhabitants of the land. And I want you to get in your mind how this miracle takes place because there's an important application for us tonight on how this all unfolds. If you'll notice in verse 11, we read, Behold, 
The ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Verse 13. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. In verse 15 we read, And as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water. And I want you to take notice tonight in those three verses, verses 11, 13, and 15, that we read the priests which were bearing the ark had to go into the waters. Everybody catching that? The Jordan River would do nothing so long as they remained stationary. No miracle was going to take place. This was not going to be a Red Sea crossing. When God parted the Red Sea and Moses stretched out the rod towards the Red Sea, the Bible says that God caused a strong east wind all night and parted the waters. And when they went through on dry ground, there was a wall of water on both sides of them. And they did not have to really take any step. In fact, what did Moses say? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, 40 years later, we see that God is doing the same thing. He's doing it a little bit differently, but the end result is going to be the same, and that's for His glory. And so it's amazing to me that there was no miracle so long as they didn't go into the water. The sea parted before they crossed, and here the Jordan River wouldn't stand up up on a heap until the feet of the priest went into the water. We're told in verse 15 that the Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest. And you may recall that I've said in a separate message recently that the Jordan River was an unsurmountable obstacle for Israel. Obviously, it was doable for the two spies. You know, they sent out the Navy SEALs to swim across. They went to Jericho. They spied it out. Obviously, they were able to do it. But it was something that all of Israel could not do, especially with all their provisions, all those kinds of things. It was a very difficult river to traverse during the time of harvest. In fact, special attention in the Bible is given to this feat when David is uh, fleeing Saul and he's in Ziklag. God begins to assemble men uh, of war to David's aid. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 12, 14, and 15, These were of the sons of Gad, captain of the host. One of the least was over a hundred and the greatest over a thousand. These are they that went over Jordan in the first month when it had overflown all his banks, and they put to flight all them of the valleys, both toward the east and toward the west. And so the Bible's telling us, look, these men were special because they traversed that river during the same time that they're trying to cross, the first month. This would be about our April time frame. And so here they are, uh, this, the Bible's telling us that this river is very hard to cross over. So I hope you're getting the picture here of what they're facing. The children of Israel are being told to cross a river that they can't cross on their own, right? 
They cannot do this on their own. Um, they, they, they cannot do it on their own in the manner in which God is telling them to do it. They cannot just walk into the river without the presence of God and just walk through that thing on the bottom of the river. Right? If they're going to do it God's way, then they're going to have to have God's presence. And the only way that the ark, which is the picture of God's presence, was to get into the river was by the priest having God's presence upon them, carrying it into the river. That's the only way it was going to get there. And the application for us is very simple. As I said last week, we need the presence of God upon us because we are now the vessels of God's presence. And God's presence only goes forward as you and I go forward. Is everybody catching this? They had to step forward by faith into the water. And we need God's presence to go before us. And as we have God's presence upon us, we can step forward in faith. And I believe we can see God do great things. But I want you to get this again. We have to step into the obstacle. In fact, we cannot try to go around it. We can't wait it out. We can't go over it. But we have to go into the obstacle. I've said this earlier. I can't remember when. I believe it's after we got to the book of Joshua, though. But we cannot have this mindset that when we hit an obstacle, it automatically means it's not God's will. That's the natural conclusion. But God's best may be located on the other side of that obstacle. (laughs) God's best. What we can't see a way around. Let me soapbox you for just a minute. I don't believe they would put it into these words, but some churches have concluded that approaching God's obstacle, God's way, operating God's way, they've concluded it's never going to work. I'm convinced many churches have viewed God's holiness as their obstacle. So instead of doing things God's way, They just compromise holiness for ease and for crowds. Somewhere down the line, they have believed the lie that the obstacle which is holding them back is this old King James Bible, these old-fashioned songs, these old ridiculous standards. And so they ditched all of God's ways as God has given it in His Word. And sure enough, they got the crowd. But it was at the expense of leaving the ark of God behind. It was at the expense of not having God's presence. And there was no miracle of God to look back upon. Because you know what they can say? Is, well, we, we, we did some research and found that this book is not relatable today. 
And, and we found out that people would rather have a concert. And, and, you know, we just went to the bank and we did some fancy negotiating to get this building. And God is just left out of the whole thing. Because sometimes we look at what God's trying to do and we say, you know what our problem is? If we would just go to the bank and get a loan, we could get over this. But then we're no different than the world. And where is God glorified in that? That we can make a $14,000 a month mortgage? Amen. I believe they're like the Laodicean church where Christ is on the outside looking in. And he stands at the door and knocks, hoping that they'll open the door and let him in so that he can sup with them and then, or, or they can sup with him and he with them. But somehow we've got it in our mind that doing God's way is never going to work. I don't know how you feel about the man that was here this morning, but I'll tell you this. I'm excited that in Massachusetts, there is a strong Bible-believing church. And they're having the exact same thing that we're having going on here. And people today say, you can't do it that way. You can't get in the pulpit and stomp and shout and scream and spit. But I want to tell you that God's ways don't change. And the same God that's working over yonder is the same God that's working here. And we're not going to abandon this. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We understand that what God instructed Israel to do, it didn't make any sense to their natural mind. You want us to do what? He wanted them to cross the Jordan River in April when the latter rains were falling, when the snows upon the mountains of Lebanon were melting, and all this was gathering together into the Jordan River basin, causing this river to overflow all its banks. Man, I'd like to have been there that day and because I can hear the naysayers grumbling. You know, it'd be so much easier if we just waited until after the time of harvest. You know, by then the waters will be way lower. And for the most part, you can just wait across that thing during that time of the year. Typically in the deepest point, it's 10 feet, 4 feet on average. You can just walk across it for the most part when it's not overflowed. And due to this significant overflowing in the timing, there could have been those who doubted the wisdom of it all at this time of year. Hey, Joshua, why don't you just wait until after harvest? The river will subside. Hey, Joshua, have you ever thought that we could build some boats and we could float across? Hey, Joshua... If we just travel south, we can get down to the Dead Sea and there is no water crossing. Can't you hear it? Well, maybe you ain't been in the ministry very long, but I can hear it. 
But God wasn't interested in their ease. He was interested in their faith. You have to remember that the previous generation died in the wilderness because of their lack of faith. God wasn't interested in them trying to figure it all out. But God was interested in him getting all the glory. By having them cross the river at a time when it seemed absolutely impossible. They were going to have to trust God by going forward into the obstacles. And there's going to be times in our church when God is going to ask us to do the impossible. And he does so, not so that he may know where we're at, but so that we may know where we're at. You picking up what I'm putting down? God doesn't do it to see where our faith is at so that he can know whether he, we, he can trust us. He already knows that. But he's going to give us a task, give you a task, to show you where you're at in your faith. Do we really trust him as we say we do? That's what he's going to find out for us. And it's these kind of thoughts, these kind of passages, where I wonder if I'm wrong for trying to plan out when we're going to implement this and implement that. Well, you know, in March we could go to choir seating, give it a year, we can go to two services the next March. Always trying to plan it out. Or do we just go for it regardless of the circumstances? Or is there wisdom in methodically planning it all out? I... By the way, would you believe this? We had, two, we had over 200 here last Sunday. It's no longer a fluke. That's three times in eight weeks. Where before we would look at that and say, well, it's just a fluke. Do you understand God's doing something around here? And God's going to bring us to some obstacles in the process. Right now, our building is the obstacle. We need more space. I thank God for that. So what's the answer? We just go in the direction of our obstacle. We go in the direction of the building. But that doesn't make sense. Exactly. We need more space, so let's look to the facility for more space. Huh? I know. But let's keep doing what we can do to stretch this facility until God gives the finances to build bigger. I got so tickled when when Brother Miller mentioned that they were doing two services. Did you notice I was excited about that? And I thought, I didn't know they were doing that. And I, I, it might be a recent thing because, like I said, I check out these dudes before they get up here and I go to their websites and all that. And I didn't notice it. And there's two things I always check. Anyway. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, brother. Anyway, he said two services. I was like, oh, we're not the only crazy ones. It's not some contemporary church move. It's being good stewards of what God has given us. God brought Israel to an obstacle they could not cross on their own so that God would get the glory. 
And God's going to bring us to obstacles that we can't cross on our own because God wants all the glory. But don't forget, we have to journey into the obstacle with the presence of God upon us. You know, maybe you're facing some obstacles in your personal life. Before you conclude that it's no longer God's will, remember that God's best may be on the other side of that thing. Do you have faith in God enough to maintain the course God's way? Because the enemy is going to give you several alternatives on the best way to get around that thing, to get over that thing, to go this way or that way, except the way in which God's told you to do it. Do you even have the presence of God upon you to give you the assurance that it's all going to work out for his glory? I want to tell you tonight, you don't have to figure it all out. That's not faith. You don't have to make sure it makes sense on paper. You just have to trust God. Trust God's leading. Some people aren't saved. It's an obstacle for them. And just as soon as they get their independence, they turn away from the obstacle. Isn't that right? People get hurt in church, and then they turn away from church. People can't figure out uh, salvation, so they turn away from the church. They turn away from God's word. They, they, they're, they're puzzled. They don't understand. It's an obstacle to them. And I don't know what you're going through tonight. But if there's an obstacle in your life, I'm just going to encourage you tonight, you head in the direction of that thing until God tells you to go one way or the other. See, but it doesn't make sense. I know. I know it doesn't. It makes no sense that I'm here. People lined up to take this church. I don't have an education. It doesn't make sense. But, but we don't have to worry about all that. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you tonight? I don't know what all God has for us as we get to 40 years and beyond but I know that if we'll stay the course, do it God's way, with God's presence, it's all going to be just fine. And on the other side of that thing, there's going to be greater blessings than we've ever seen. And I don't know why I have been feeling that for the last couple of years, but it's just been so heavy on my heart. And I'm glad that we're now at a point when I can talk to you more openly about it. But God's on the move. God's doing things. Let's get on board, and let's just go forward by faith. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. and the application that it has for us today, it's a living word. It's not just for those back then, but it's for us today. And Lord, there's obstacles in our way. There's, there's obstacles that come up in our life. And, and while in our natural mind it makes sense to turn around, find another way, wait it out, whatever, we know that your way is ultimately best. Help us to go in the, the direction of that obstacle, to get our feet into that obstacle with your presence upon our life, and then watch you do a great miracle. And God, if we ever start doing anything where your glory is not the end goal, just stop us right where we're at. And God, if we ever lose our focus for souls, I pray you just close the doors. But God, may we just keep things in the right perspective. Let's keep the main thing the main thing.
We love you tonight for Christ's sake because he first loved us. It's in his name we pray, amen.